Namo tasa bhagavato arahato Sama sambuddhasa buddhang dhammang sanggang amasami Okay, so today I'm going to do the uh, Upali Sutta, Ajmanika 56. Uh, and just maybe just a tiny little brief introduction to the Sutta. The Sutta is about the householder Upali, uh, uh, who was a follower of the Jains. Um, and Jains in those days were called the Nigantas. Uh, this is the name for the Jains in those days. Uh, and this Upali, he lived in Nalanda, which is a town in present-day Bihar in northern India, just south of the river Ganges, and it's between uh, what is now uh, the city of Patna uh, and the ancient city of Rajagaha, which was one of the main cities at the time of the Buddha. Uh, It's halfway between those places. uh, And this place, Nalanda, later on became uh, very famous in India. It became the place of one of the large universities in India. uh, And when the uh, the famous Chinese pilgrims went to India about a thousand years after the Buddha. That was actually a very thriving university at that time, very large and thriving university. Uh, and there were th- literally thousands and thousands of students at this university. Uh. So this is uh, Nalanda. If you go to Nalanda t- today, you still find these vast uh, ruins actually in Nalanda, which are the remains of the, of the vast university that was there. Uh. And this is where this um, particular sutta is taking place. At the time of the Buddha, it was still only a very tiny little, a tiny little place, uh, but still it was where this household Rupali uh, was living here. And he was one of the, obviously one of the wealthiest and one of the uh, prominent citizens of Nalanda in those days. Uh, so that's why uh, it is named after him. Uh, and this sutta basically recounts the story of how this Jain follower, Upali, how he ended up becoming a Buddhist after meeting the Buddha uh, and the sort of impact that meeting the Buddha had uh, on, on Upali here. Uh, the, the Dhamma in this discourse is not, not uh, extremely profound. Uh, there are some nice points of Dhamma as well. Uh, but the main uh, importance, if you like, of this sutta is just how this uh, Upali, this layperson Upali, ended up becoming a Buddhist. Okay, so I'll start the, uh, the reading. So this is on page uh, 477 of the uh, Bhikkhu Bodhis translation of the Majjhima Nikaya. Okay, uh, thus have I heard, uh, on one occasion the Blessed One was living at Nalanda in Pavarika's mango grove. Now, on that occasion, the Niganta Nataputta was staying at Nalanda with the large assembly of Nigantas. Now, Nigantas, they, that's the ancient name for the Jains. Uh, so these are actually Jains, and the Niganta Nataputta, he was actually the founder of the Jain sect. He's like, also known as Mahavira in the Jain texts. Uh, so he was the founder. He was a contemporary of the Buddha, obviously. Yeah. Then, uh, when the Niganta named Diga Tapasi had wandered for arms in Nalanda and had returned from his arms round, uh, After his meal, he went to Pavarika's mango grove to see the Blessed One. He exchanged greetings with the Blessed One, and when this courteous and amiable talk was finished, he stood at one side. As he stood there, the Blessed One said to him, There are seats, Tapasi. Sit down if you like. When this was said, Diga Tapasi took a low seat and sat down at one side. Then the Blessed One asked him, Tapasi, how many kinds of action does uh, the Niganta Nataputta describe for the performance of an evil or bad action for the perpetration of a bad action? Uh, action here is, is Kama, the Pali word is Kama. So we are now talking about Kama basically, Kama and, uh, in the Buddhist sense of the word. Uh, so the Diga Tapasi answers the Buddha. He calls the Buddha friend Gotama because he was not a follower of the Buddha. Friend Gotama, the Niganta Nataputta, is not accustomed to use the description action, action. The Niganta Nataputta is accustomed to use the description rod, rod. Uh, the word is repeated there, action, action, doesn't, doesn't actually have any significance in the, in the Pali that is repeated. It just means the description action. Uh, doesn't really mean anything, the fact that it is repeated. Then, Tapasi, how many kinds of rod 
does the Niganta Nataputta describe for the performance of an evil action, for the perpetration of an evil action? Fen Gautama, the Niganta Nataputta, describes three kinds of rods for the performance of an evil action, for the perpetration of evil action. That is, the bodily rod, the verbal rod, and the mental rod. And straight away there you can see how this is very, very similar to the way the Buddha describes action and kama. Kama is described as being through three doors in Buddhism, three dvaras, and that three doors are the door of the body, the door of, the, of speech, and the door of the mind. So uh, to that extent, there is agreement between the uh, Jains and the, and the Buddhist. So maybe this was a standard way of describing kama in those, in those days. How then, Tapasi, is the bodily rod one, the verbal rod another, and the mental rod still another? The bodily rod is one, friend Gautama, the verbal rod is another, and the mental rod is still another. Of these three kinds of rod tapasi, thus analyzed, thus distinguished, which kind of rod does the Nigantanata Putta describe as the most reprehensible for the, for the performance of evil action, for the perpetration of evil action, the bodily rod, or the verbal rod, or the mental rod? Of these three kinds of rod, friend Gautama, thus analyzed and distinguished, the Niganta Nataputta describes the bodily rod as the most reprehensible for the performance of evil action, for the perpetration of evil action, and not so much the verbal rod and the mental rod. Do you say the bodily rod, Tapasi? I say the bodily rod, friend Gautama. Do you say the bodily rod, friend Tapasi? I do say the bodily rod, friend Gautama. Do you say the bodily rod, Tapasi? I say the bodily rod, friend Gautama. Thus the Blessed One made the Niganta Digatapasi maintain his statement up, up to the third time. This is a standard way at the time of the Buddha of uh, uh, making somebody, um, in a sense, confirm something absolutely. Once you have confirmed it for three times, it means that that's it, and you have really, really confirmed absolutely. There's no way back anymore, so to speak. Yeah. This was a standard way in, in those days of doing that. Yeah. It was a bit like um, making an oath, I suppose. <laughs> okay, then the Niganta Digatapasi asked the Blessed One, and you, friend Gautama, how many kinds of rod do you describe for the performance of evil action, for the perpetration of evil action? Tapasi, the Tathagata, is not accustomed to the use the description rod-rod. The Tathagata is accustomed to use the description action-action, in other words, kama. But, friend Gautama, how many kinds of action do you describe for the performance of evil action? for the perpetration of evil action. Tapasi, I describe three kinds of action for the performance of evil action, for the perpetration of evil action. That is bodily action, verbal action, and mental action. How then, friend Gautama, is bodily action one, verbal action another, and mental action still another? Bodily action is one, Tapasi, verbal action is another, and mental action is still another. So, so far, they have basically, basically in complete agreement. Of these three kinds of action, friend Gautama, thus analyzed and distinguished, which kind of action do you describe as the most reprehensible for the performance of evil action, for the perpetration of evil action? Bodily action, or verbal action, or mental action? Of these three kinds of action tapasi, thus analyzed and distinguished, I describe mental action as the most reprehensible for the performance of evil action, for the perpetration of evil action, and not so much bodily action and verbal action. Do you say mental action, friend Gautama? I say mental action tapasi. Do you say mental action, friend Gautama? I say mental action tapasi. Do you say mental action, friend Gautama? I say mental action, tapasi. And thus, the Niganta Diga Tapasi made the Blessed One maintain his statement up to the third time, after which he rose from his seat and went uh, to the Niganta Nataputta.
so there is a there's obviously a, the distinction here between the Jains and the, uh, the the Buddha is that the Jains were saying that the bodily action is the worst one, uh, whereas the Buddha here is saying that actually mental action is the worst one. Uh, this is interesting because very often when one talks about karma, one would very often say that it's actually uh, only when something, if intending something with, with the mind. Uh, is like a minor thing, but actually perform, performing that intention is actually when the kamma really becomes strong in a sense. Uh, that's very often how it is, and, and that is, I think, basically a correct statement. Uh, but uh, uh, as we shall see later in the sutta, uh, the point here is that uh, the mind is more powerful because if you don't have the mind involved at all, uh, then of course there is no bad kamma according to Buddhism, uh, and that's why the mind is so powerful. Uh. We get to that that actually later in this uh, in the sutta. Uh. Um, okay, now on that occasion the Niganta Nataputta was seated together with a very large assembly of laymen from Balaka, most prominent among them being Upali. The Niganta Nataputta saw the Niganta Digatapasi coming in the distance and asked him, Now, where are you coming from in the middle of the day, Tapasi? I am coming from the presence of the recluse Gotama, Venerable Sir. Did you have some conversation with the recluse Gotama Tapasi? I had some com- conversation with the recluse Gotama, Venerable Sir. And what was your conversation with him like, Tapasi? Then the Niganta Diga Tapasi related to the Niganta Nataputta his entire conversation with the Blessed One. When this was said, the Niganta Nataputta told him, Good, good, Tapasi. The Niganta Diga Tapasi has answered the recluse Gotama like a well-taught disciple who understands his teacher's dispensation rightly. What does the trivial mental rod count for in comparison with the gross bodily rod? On the contrary, the bodily rod is the most reprehensible for the performance of evil action, for the perpetration of evil action, and not so much the verbal rod and the mental rod. When this was said, the householder Upali said to the Nigantanataputta, Good, good, venerable sir, on the part of Diga Tapasi. The venerable Tapasi has answered the reckless Gautama like a well-taught disciple who understands his teacher's dispensation rightly. What does the trivial mental rod count for in comparison with the gross bodily rod? On the contrary, the bodily rod is the most reprehensible for the performance of evil action, for the perpetration of evil action, and not so much the verbal rod and the mental rod. Now, venerable sir, I shall go and refute the reckless Gautama's doctrine on the basis of this statement. If the reckless Gautama maintains before me what the venerable Digatapasi made him maintain, then, just as a strong man might seize a long-haired ram by the hair and drag him to and fro, and drag him round about. So in debate I will drag the reckless Gautama too, drag him fro and drag him round about. Just as a strong brewer's workman might throw a big brewer's sieve into a deep water tank, and taking it by the corners might drag it to and, and drag it fro and drag it round about. So in debate I will drag the reckless Gautama too, and drag him fro and drag him round about. Just as a strong brewer's mixer might take a strainer by the corners and shake it down and shake it up and thump it about, so in debate I will shake the reckless Gautama down and shake him up and thump him about. And just as a 60-year-old elephant might plunge into a deep pond and enjoy playing the game of hemp-washing, so I shall enjoy playing the game of hemp-washing with the reckless Gautama. Venerable sir, I shall go and refute the reckless Gautama's doctrine on the basis of this statement. So I think it's pretty obvious here that he obviously hasn't met the Buddha before because I don't think there are many cases of anybody really being able to thump in about in debate in this way. So anyway, then the, the Mahavira says to him, Go householder and refute the reckless Gautama's doctrine on the basis of this statement. For either I shall refute the reckless Gautama's doctrine, or else the Niganta Digatapasi, or you yourself. 
When this was said, the Niganta Digatapasi said to the Niganta Nataputa, Venerable Sir, I do not agree that the householder Upali should try to refute the Rector's Gautama's doctrine. For the Rector's Gautama is a magician and knows a converting magic by which he converts disciples of other sectarians. Now it's interesting here how he calls the Buddha a magician and says that he knows a converting magic. And the reason that he says this is obviously because he doesn't really understand the Buddha's doctrine, he doesn't understand the Dhamma. So to him, because he doesn't understand the Dhamma, it just looks like magic to him how these people get converted. Why do they become Buddhists you know, if the Dhamma doesn't make any sense? So that is why he calls it converting magic. He obviously hasn't got a clue about, the, um, about what the Dhamma is all about. And it's probably the same, it's just the same today. If you ask somebody who's not a Buddhist and who cannot understand the Buddha's teaching, they will wonder why on earth are we Buddhists in the first place? It's exactly the same principle. And so this is what happens then. It looks like magic to you. And the Mahavira answers, it is impossible, Tapasi. It cannot happen that the householder Upali should go over to the discipleship under the Reclus Gautama. But it is possible, it can happen, that the Reclus Gautama might come over to the discipleship under the householder Upali. Go, go householder, and refute the Reclus Gautama's doctrine, for either I should refute the Reclus Gautama's doctrine, or else the Niganta Digatapasi, or you yourself. For the second time and for the third time, uh, the Niganta Digatapasi said to the Niganta Nataputa, Venerable Sir, I do not agree that the household Rupali should try to refute the Reclus Gautama's doctrine, for the Reclus Gautama is a magician and knows a converting magic by which he converts disciples of other sectarians. It is impossible, Tapasi, it cannot happen that the householder Rupali should go over to the discipleship under the Reclus Gautama, but it is possible, it can happen, that the Rector's Gautama might come over to the discipleship under the householder Rupali. Go, householder, and refute the Rector's Gautama's doctrine, for either I should refute the Rector's Gautama's doctrine, or else the Niganta Digatapasi, or you yourself. Yes, Venerable Sir, the householder Rupali replied, and he rose from his seat, and after paying homage to the Niganta Nataputa, Keeping him on his right, he left to go to the Blessed One in Pavarika's mango grove. Then, after paying homage to the Blessed One, he sat down at one side and asked the Blessed One, Venerable Sir, did the Niganta Digatapasi come here? The Niganta Digatapasi came here, householder. Venerable Sir, did you have some conversation with him? I had some conversation with him, householder. What was your conversation with him like, venerable sir? Then the Blessed One related to the householder Rupali his entire conversation with the Niganta Digatapasi. When this was said, the householder Rupala said to the Blessed One, Good, good, venerable sir, on the part of Tapasi, the Niganta Digatapasi has answered the Blessed One like a well-taught disciple who understands his teacher's dispensation rightly. What does the trivial mental rod count for in comparison with the gross bodily rod? On the contrary, the bodily rod is the most reprehensible for the performance of evil action, for the per perpetration of evil action, not so much the verbal rod and the mental rod. And the Buddha replies, Householder, if you will debate on the basis of truth, we might have some conversation about this. I will debate on the basis of truth, Venerable Sir, so let us have some conversation about this. And here begins the Buddha's arguments. What do you think, householder? Here some Niganta might be afflicted, suffering, and gravely ill. With an illness needing treatment by cold water, which his vows prohibit, and he might refuse cold water, uh, though mentally longing for it, uh, and use only the permissible hot water, 
thus keeping his vows bodily and verbally. Because he does not get cold water, he might die. Now, householder, where would the Niganta Nataputta describe his rebirth as taking place? Venerable sir, there are gods called mind-bound. He would be reborn there. Why is that? Because when he died, he was still bound by attachment in the mind. Okay, so the, this is a little bit, uh, little bit uh, complicated. This argument, uh, and all those things in brackets there are actually supplied from the commentary, not actually in the text itself. Uh, but without them, it's very hard to understand what's going on here. Huh? So the point here is that uh, the Buddha is basically saying that this here is the example of a Jain who keeps his bodily actions perfectly pure huh? because he refuses treatment by cold water. So he, he keeps his bodily, uh, bodily uh, actions pure, but his mental action is not pure because he has attachment and longing for that cold water. Huh? Uh, and his rebirth is then decided not by his bodily action, which is pure, but by his mental action, which is impure. Huh? You see there? Huh? So the point is basically, the Buddha is basically arguing here that even in the uh, Jain's own doctrine, uh, uh, it's actually the case that um, mental action is much more powerful than bodily action. Uh, uh, and that is what the household Ripali agrees with. He says, yes, he says, Venerable Sir, they are gods called mind-bound. He would be reborn there. So he's basically agreeing that uh, 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 the mind is actually more powerful here than the body. Here. So the Buddha then says, Householder, householder, pay attention how you reply. What you said afterwards does not agree with what you said before nor does what you said before agree with what you said afterwards. Yet you made this statement, I will debate on the basis of truth, Venerable Sir, so let us have some conversation about this. Venerable Sir, although the Blessed One has spoken thus, yet the bodily rod is the most reprehensible for the performance of evil action, for the perpetration of evil action, and not so much the verbal rod and the mental rod. Um, so, uh, basically, even though he, he, the Buddha has basically corrected him already uh, through that simile of his, uh, he's still clinging on to his view. Uh, but what you, what you find later on in this discourse, you come to it soon, uh, is that, as a matter of fact, the Pali has actually already at this point, he has actually been persuaded that the Buddha is right uh, and that the uh, Niganta Nataputta is wrong, the Jains are wrong. Uh, so already at this point, he actually agrees uh, uh, but the reason that he continues questioning him is basically because he wants to hear the Buddha's statements uh, and the Buddha's arguments. Uh, so obviously he's already quite impressed. Uh, so because of that, we get some, some more nice arguments here by the Buddha because he is a stubborn, uh, stubborn Jain. Uh, so we'll see what the, what the Buddha has to come up with next. Uh, what do you think, householder? Here some Niganta might be restrained with four checks. Uh, Curbed by all curbs, clamped by all curbs, cleansed by all curbs, and claimed by all curbs. And yet, when going forward and returning, he brings about the destruction of many small living beings. What result does the Niganta Nataputta describe for him? Venerable Sir, the Niganta Nataputta does not describe what is unintended as greatly reprehensible. But if one intends it, householder, then it is greatly uh, reprehensible, venerable sir. But under which of the three rods does the Nigantanataputta describe volition or intention, householder? Under the mental rod, venerable sir. So uh, again here we, um, we see that, uh, here you can actually see the distinction between the Jain doctrine and the Buddhist doctrine uh, because according to the Jain doctrine, uh, you actually made bad karma by killing a living being, even if you have no intention to do so. Uh, and that's why you have this passage. Uh, but then they also agree that intention is actually necessary for there to be bad, uh, bad karma, just like the Buddhists. Uh, so, uh, I think it's, it's just apparently just some kind of uh, special Jain uh, uh, Jane, state, Jane expression, uh, which the Jains use. Uh, 
Um, I, I think it, all it means is that it's like a, a, it's like a Jain doctrine, if you like. Uh, the doctrine is that you have to be curbed in certain ways and restrained in certain ways. Uh, I don't know exactly what it means myself. Uh, it's basically just a standard Jain doctrine. The way it, and if you follow that Jain doctrine, uh, uh, then despite following the doctrine fully, uh, uh, when you move about, you're still making bad karma uh, if you kill living beings. Uh, I, I don't know exactly what it means. I, I think it's basically not the point. It's not so important, basically, what it means. Yeah, I think, yeah. So, because of this, just a reference to a Jain doctrine without any clear statement. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I'll, I'll check the. Uh, there's a footnote there, actually. Let's see what the footnote says. So. Um. Okay. Um. Okay, I think partly what it means here, it says that a niganta is restrained with regard to all water. He is endowed with the avoidance of all evil. He is cleansed by the avoidance of all evil. And he is suffused with the avoidance of all evil. So that seems to basically be what it means. So I guess then evil is then further defined. What does evil mean according to the Jains? It's probably different from what the Buddhist means so, uh, w- but what he's saying here is that even if you are in all those four ways uh, restrained, uh, you still do bad action according to chains if you if you tread on a uh, living being. Uh. Yeah. Okay, so the Buddha then says again, householder, householder, pay attention how you reply. What you said afterwards does not agree with what you said before, nor does what you said before agree with what you said afterwards. Yet you made this statement. I will debate on the basis of truth, Venerable Sir. Let us have some conversation about this. Venerable Sir, although the Blessed One has spoken thus, yet the bodily rod is the most reprehensible for the performance of evil action, for the perpetration of evil action, and not so much the verbal rod and the mental rod. So here he is very keen on getting some more similes out of the Buddha before he is willing to uh, tell him that he's already become a Buddhist, so to speak. What do you think, householder? Is this town of Nalanda successful and prosperous? Is it populous and crowded with people? Yes, venerable sir, it is. What do you think, householder? Suppose a man came here brandishing a sword and spoke thus. In one moment, in one instant, I will make all the living beings in this town of Nalanda into one mass of flesh, into one heap of flesh. What do you think, householder? Would that man be able to do that? Venerable sir, ten, twenty, thirty, forty, or even fifty men would not be able to make all the living beings in this town of Nalanda into a mass of flesh, into one heap of flesh in one moment or instant. So what does a trivial, a single trivial man account for? What do you think, householder? Suppose some recluse of Brahmin came here, possessed of supernormal power, and attained to mastery of mind, and he spoke thus. I will reduce this town of Nalanda to ashes with one mental act of hate. What do you think, householder? Would such a recluse of Brahmin be able to do that? Venerable sir, such a recluse of Brahmin, possessed of supernormal power and attained to mastery of mind, would be able to re- reduce 10, 20, 30, 40, or even 50 Nalandas to ashes with one mental act of hate. So what does a single trivial Nalanda count for? Householder, householder, pay attention to how you reply. What you said afterwards does not agree with what you said before, nor does what you said before agree with what you said afterwards. You made this, yet you made this statement, I will debate on the basis of truth, Venerable Sir, so let us have some conversation about this. Venerable Sir, although the Blessed One has spoken thus, yet the bodily rod is the most reprehensible for the performance of evil action, for the perpetration of evil action, and not so much the verbal rod and the mental rod. What do you think, householder? Have you heard how 
the Dandaka, Kalinga, Medja and Matanga forests became forests? Yes, Venerable Sir. As you heard it, how did they become forests? Venerable Sir, I heard that they become forests by means of a mental act of hate on part of the seers. Uh, seers here is just a word for like a sage who lives in the forest by himself, somebody with supernormal powers basically. Huh? Householder, householder, pay attention how you reply. What you said before does not agree with what you said afterwards, nor does what you said afterwards agree with what you said before. Yet you made this statement. I will debate on the basis of truth, Venerable Sir. So let us have some conversation about this. And now the uh, Upali has finally become satisfied. So, Venerable Sir, I was satisfied by the Blessed One's very first simile. Nevertheless, I thought I would oppose the Blessed One thus, since I desired to hear the Blessed One's varied solutions to the problem. Magnificent, Venerable Sir, magnificent, Venerable Sir. The Blessed One has made the Dhamma clear in many ways, as though he were turning upright what had been overthrown, revealing what was hidden, showing the way to one who was lost, and holding up a lamp in the dark for those with eyesight to see forms. Venerable Sir, I go to the Blessed One for refuge, and to the Dhamma for refuge, and to the Sangha of Bhikkhus. Let the Blessed One remember me as a lay follower who has gone to him for refuge uh, for life. Okay, so that is the um, uh, how Upali became a Buddhist uh, and gave up his adherence to the Jains. And it's quite this little... Uh, this little, um, uh, pa- these few passages here on the on Kamma, they're actually quite interesting here, because they show, as I said before, normally we think of actually doing something by verbal or by bodily action as more uh, severe than actually doing it just by the mind, uh, and the reason for that is because you get the mind first, then you get the bodily or verbal action on top of that, uh, and that's why it is it is so bad. Uh, but in reality, you can also see here how powerful the mind actually is. Uh, that if you, are, if you have a very, very highly developed mind uh, with supernormal powers and you use those supernormal powers in a bad way, uh, that can have a very, very bad effect uh, on, for your own, in terms of karma for yourself. Uh. So the mind is actually, ultimately the mind is actually the most powerful of all the three ways of doing karma. Uh, and of course the second thing that he's talking about here, which is so important, is the fact that intention is what really matters when it comes to karma. Uh, so because intention is in the mind uh, and intention is what matters then the mind again is what really is the most uh, powerful thing in karma uh. and that is why it is so powerful for example to develop a loving kindness meditation or, or compassion towards beings uh, because you are changing your mind uh, and when you change the mind then all karma, verbal, bodily and mental they all come together in a, in a very positive way here. Uh. so that is the, the basic point there um, and then the uh, next thing which happens here now is that the, uh, the Buddha takes Upali further he continues talking to him uh, and uh, about the Dhamma so we'll see what happens next ok the next thing the Buddha says is investigate thoroughly householder it is good for such well known people like you to investigate thoroughly uh, in other words don't sort of jump from one religion to another one uh, just without investigating properly before you decide to uh, convert, so to speak. Make sure that you uh, investigate properly. In other words, he doesn't want disciples who are easily swayed one way or another. He wants people to actually see properly for themselves. Venerable Sir, I am even more satisfied and pleased with the Blessed One for telling me that. For the other sectarians on acquiring me as their disciple would carry a banner all over Nalanda announcing the household of Rupali has, become, has come to discipleship under us. But on the contrary, the Blessed One tells me, investigate thoroughly, householder. It is good for such well-known people like you to investigate thoroughly. So for the second time, Venerable Sir, I go to the Blessed One for refuge and to the Dhamma and to the Sangha of Bhikkhus. Let the Blessed One remember me as a lay follower who has gone to him for refuge for life. Householder, your family has long supported the Nigantas, and you should consider that alms should be given to them 
uh, when they come. So again, I find it's very beautiful. It's like the it's like sort of the essence of of of, Buddha, of the Buddha being very sort of inclusive and very tolerant towards other people. Um, and obviously, these sort of statements are very impressive. Uh, and Upali is impressed because he says, Venerable Sir, I am even more satisfied and pleased with the Blessed One for telling me that. Venerable Sir, I have heard that the Rectus Gautama says thus, Gifts should be given only to me, gifts should not be given to others. Gifts should be given only to my disciples, gifts should not be given to others' disciples. Only what is given to me is very fruitful, not what is given to others. Only what is given to my disciples is very fruitful, not what is given to others' disciples. But, on the contrary, the Blessed One encourages me to give gifts to the Nigantas. Anyway, we shall know the time for that, Venerable Sir. So, for the third time, Venerable Sir, I go to the Blessed One for refuge, and to the Dhamma, and to the Sangha of Bhikkhus. Let the Blessed One remember me as a lay follower who has gone to him for refuge for life. Okay. There is, a, there is actually an interesting passage somewhere else when the Buddha is asked precisely this same question about where a gift should be given. And he is challenged by somebody. Somebody goes up to the Buddha and says, I have heard you say, I've heard other people say, that you say that gifts should only be given to me and to the Bhikkhu Sangha and the Bhikkhuni Sangha and to, to your lay followers, not to others. And the Buddha's answer on that occasion is that uh, you should give where your mind inclines. That's where you should, give, you should give gifts. Because where your mind inclines, that's where you actually get great merit from the giving. Yeah. Uh, so that is a, it's actually an interesting statement. So that is something peop- one can use in one's own practice, is to think, well, where does your mind incline? Where do you feel like giving? Yeah? And whenever your mind inclines somewhere, that is also where it's very good to actually give something. Yeah? And the reason for that is obviously that if you incline somewhere, then it's very easy to, to, to give rise to joy and happiness, it's very easy to give rise to clear mindfulness, to give rise to peace and tranquility. And all these positive things are very easily uh, given, uh, given rise to. Um, uh, when your mind inclines somewhere. And because you have all these positive states in the mind, it will make a much, much greater impact on the mind. Uh, and it will be something which gives you much more joy and much more happiness. And for that reason, it will be much, much more good karma as well. Huh? Okay. Um, then the Blessed One gave the householder Upali progressive instruction. That is, talk on giving, talk on virtue, talk on the heavens. He explained the danger, degradation and defilement in sensual pleasures and the blessing of renunciation. This is the standard way the Buddha gives progressive instruction. He starts with the more basic and slowly he brings the, the person along to more elevated things. When he knew that the householder Upali's mind was ready, receptive, free from the hindrances, Elated and confident, he expounded to him the teaching special to the Buddhas, suffering, its origin, its cessation, and the path, the Four Noble Truths. Just as a clean cloth with all marks removed would take dye evenly, so too, while the household Rupali sat there, the spotless, immaculate vision of the Dhamma arose in him. All that is subject to arising is subject to cessation. Then the household Rupali saw the Dhamma, attained the Dhamma, understood the Dhamma, fathomed the Dhamma. He crossed beyond doubt, did away with perplexity, gained intrepidity, and became independent of others in the teacher's dispensation. Then he said to the Blessed One, Now, Venerable Sir, we must go. We are busy and have much to do. So this is the standard description of somebody becoming a sotapanna, a stream enterer. And all of these things that are just read out there are basically just the characteristic characteristics of a stream enterer. 
so, so the Buddha teaches that the, what forms the basis here of becoming the stream enterer is that the Buddha teaches the special teaching, which is special to the Buddhas. In other words, the Four Noble Truths. Uh, and it is these Four Noble Truths uh, which actually can lead the mind to penetrate the Dhamma if the mind is ready. And that is why he t- spends so much time beforehand to talk about generosity, talk about virtue, about all these things, to actually make Upali's mind ready to understand the Dhamma. And readiness means uh, freedom of the five hindrances, basically. The mind has to be free of the five hindrances, has to be concentrated, mindful, uh, and uh, bright. Uh, and that is when the mind is ready to actually understand the Dhamma. And that is why the simile is just as a clean cloth. Uh, the mind is like a clean cloth at this stage, uh, with all the marks removed, uh, would take die, take die evenly. Uh, so too, while he was sitting there, the spotless, immaculate vision of the Dhamma arose in him. Uh, All that is subject to arising is subject to cessation. Uh, And all that is subject to arising, of course, these are all the things that we know about. Pretty much everything is subject to arising. So at this point, these are the things we call the sankharas. Uh, So at this point, uh, he realized that all these sankharas uh, are impermanent. Uh, and that is what uh, what is meant by the fact that uh, they arise, and because of their arising, they are also subject to cessation. This is the impermanence. So everything that he had held uh, onto previously in, in the five khandas, everything else, all that, everything he has known known before, he suddenly realized actually is subject to cessation. Uh, and this is. Uh, uh, when you penetrate to the Dhamma, you realize that the only thing which is really secure is Nibbana, which lies beyond the five khandas. Uh, and this is the first time he has that spotless, immaculate vision of the Dhamma, uh, which is both a vision of Nibbana, it's a vision of the Four Noble Truths. Uh, all these things are basically just the name for the same thing. Yeah. Uh, and then you have this sequence where he says that the household Rupali saw the Dhamma, attained the Dhamma, understood the Dhamma, and fathomed the Dhamma. Uh, I understand these things to basically be like synonyms, uh, and they all mean that you have uh, penetrated the Dhamma, you have understood the Four Noble Truths, uh, and by understanding the Four Noble Truths, you basically understand the whole teaching of the Buddha. You understand dependent origination, you understand the path, you understand all aspects of, of, uh, of Buddhism, basically, the way the Buddha taught. Uh, that is what... Uh, seeing the Dhamma actually means. You're also seeing Nibbana, you understand suffering, you understand where it ends, which of course is Nibbana, and you also understand the path. Uh, and because this understanding is an understanding on a very deep level, it's not just, uh, this is not just an intellectual understanding, but this is like an experiential, direct understanding. It's probably the first time in a human's life you actually understand something absolutely directly. Uh, and because... Uh, it is so profound, this understanding, is so deep. Uh, because of that, then you get these next qualities here. He crossed beyond doubt, did away with perplexity. In other words, when you have seen something so profoundly, doubt can no longer arise in your mind uh, because you know for yourself. It's not just knowing that the bus is coming uh, according to schedule. This is really uh, direct knowledge uh, uh, which cannot be challenged by anybody. Uh, and that's why you are said to have crossed beyond doubt. Uh, even if the whole world argues against you, you still would feel completely unchallenged by it because it is so, so clear to you what is actually happening here. And that's why you have crossed beyond doubt. And crossing beyond doubt, of course, is also the abandoning of one of the three fetters. Doubt is one of the three fetters, and this is one of the three fetters which we have abandoned at this stage. So because you are so now become so certain and you have seen all these things for yourself because you have gone beyond doubt, you are said to have gained intrepidity, what it says here. In other words, intrepidity is like absolute certainty. It's like you cannot shake anymore. You cannot, be, you cannot actually be challenged anymore. Well, you can be challenged, but nothing will happen if you challenge this, this sort of person. And because of that, you have become independent of others in the teacher's dispensation. Because you know and see for yourself, because you have no more doubt, because nobody is really able to challenge you, uh, and because you know the path, you know exactly what you have to do, 
you are completely independent at this stage. Uh, a sotapanna is somebody who is com- absolutely independent, uh, uh, who basically uh, can go his completely his own way if he has to. Uh, of course, he can also be a teacher, uh, but he will, he will always have that independence about him. Uh, and this is one of the qualities of somebody who is an Arya, somebody who is a sotapanna, is that they have this extreme independence uh, that they cannot really be challenged on the core points of Dhamma. They will stand completely firm. They will be like a rock, basically, like a mountain. Uh, somebody who cannot move uh, by, by what I might call the worldly winds of praise and blame, of argument and non-argument, etc. Uh, so it is, it is quite, to be a Sotapanna, a stream enter, is something very profound, uh, something very, very solid. Uh, and um, uh, so it's quite remarkable that in the time of the Buddha, there were actually quite a few lay people even who were, were Sotapannas. Uh, Okay, so that is what uh, happened to Upali. He became a stream enterer, and then, having become a stream enterer, uh, presumably it took took a little bit of little while before he said he he must go because uh, I, this is a very very profound attainment, and he I uh, it must have taken a while for him to sort of come back to his senses to be able to say, uh, well, I, I got to go and I got to do all these things. Uh, Okay, so then the Buddha says, you may go householder at your own convenience. Then the householder Upali, having delighted and rejoiced in the Blessed One's words, rose from his seat and after paying homage to the Blessed One, keeping him on his right, he left to return to his own house. Then he addressed the doorkeeper thus, good doorkeeper, from today on, I close my door to the Nigantas and the Nigantis. The Nigantis are the female Jains, the Nigantas are the male Jains. And I open my door to the Blessed Ones, Bhikkhus, Bhikkhunis, men lay followers, and women lay followers. If any Niganta comes, then tell him thus Wait, Venerable Sir, do not enter. From today on, the household Rupali has gone over to the discipleship under the Reclus Gotama. He has closed his door to the Nigantas and Nigantis, and he has opened it to the Blessed Ones, Bhikkhus, Bhikkhunis, men lay followers and women lay followers. Venerable Sir, if you need alms, wait here. They will bring it to you here. Yes, Venerable Sir, the doorkeeper replied. The word eventually gets back to the uh, Nigantas. Uh, so the Niganta Digatapasi heard the householder Upali has gone over to the discipleship under the recluse Gotama. Then he went to the Niganta Nataputa and told him, Venerable Sir, I have heard thus the householder Upali has gone over to the discipleship under the recluse Gotama. It is impossible, Tapasi. It cannot happen that the householder Pali should go over to the discipleship under the Rectus Gotama. But it is possible, it can happen, that the Rectus Gotama might come over to the discipleship under the householder Upali. A second time and a third time, the Niganta Digatapasi told the Niganta Nataputa, Venerable Sir, I have heard thus, the householder Upali has gone over to the discipleship under the Reclus Gotama. It is impossible, it cannot happen, etc. Venerable Sir, shall I go and find out whether or not the householder Upali has gone over to the discipleship under the Reclus Gotama? Go, Tapasi, and find out whether or not he has gone over to the discipleship under the Reclus Gotama. Then the Neganta Diga Tapasi went to the householder Upali's house. The doorkeeper saw him coming in the distance and told him, Wait, venerable sir, do not enter. From today on, the householder Upali has gone over to the discipleship under the reckless Gotama. He has closed his door, closed his door to the Nigantas and the Nigantis, and he has opened it to the Blessed Ones, Bhikkhus, Bhikkhunis, men lay followers and women lay followers. Venerable Sir, if you need arms, wait here. They will bring it to you here. I do not need arms, friend, he said. 
and he turned back and went to the Nigantanata Putta and told him, Venerable sir, it is only too true that the householder Upali has gone over to the discipleship under the rector's Gotama. Venerable sir, I did not get your consent when I told you. Venerable sir, I do not agree that the householder Upali should try to refute the rector's Gotama's doctrine, for the rector's Gotama is a magician and knows a converting magic by which he converts disciples of other sectarians. And now, Venerable Sir, your household Rupali has been converted by the recluse Gotama with his converting magic. It is impossible, Tapasi, it cannot happen that a household Rupali should go over to the discipleship under the recluse Gotama. But it is possible, it can happen, that the recluse Gotama might come over to the discipleship under the household Rupali. A second time and a third time, the Niganta Diga Tapasi told the Niganta Nataputta, Venerable Sir, it is only too true that the household Rupali has gone over to the discipleship under the recluse Gotama when uh, he has been converted by his converting magic. It is impossible, Tapas, it cannot happen, etc., uh, etc. Et uh, it but it can happen that the recluse Gotama might come over to the discipleship under the household Rupali. Now I shall go myself and find out whether or not he has gone over to the discipleship under the recluse Gotama. Then the Niganta Nataputa went with a large assembly of Nigantas to the householder Upali's house. The doorkeeper saw him coming in the distance and told him, Wait, venerable sir, do not enter. From today on, the householder Upali has gone over to the discipleship under the recluse Gotama. He has closed his door to the Nigantas and Nigantis and has opened his door to the Blessed Ones, Bhikkhus, Bhikkhunis, men lay followers and women lay followers. Venerable sir, if you need arms, wait here. They will bring it to you here. Good doorkeeper, go to the householder Upali and tell him, Venerable sir, the Niganta Nataputa is standing at the outer gate with a large assembly of Nigantas. He wishes to see you. Yes, venerable sir, he replied, and went to the householder Upali and told him, Venerable sir, the Niganta Nataputa is standing at the outer gate with a large assembly of Nigantas. He wishes to see you. In that case, good doorkeeper, make seats ready in the hall of the central door. That's just the name of the particular hall. Yes, venerable sir, he replied, and after he had made seats ready in the hall of the central door, he returned to the household Rupali and told him, Venerable sir, the seats are made ready in the hall of the central door. You may come at your own convenience. Then the household Rupali went to the hall of the central door and sat down on the highest, best chief, most excellent seat there. Uh, so he, he's taking the um, best seat for himself. Obviously in the past he would have given the best seat to the leader of the Jains, to the uh, Nigantanata Putta. Uh, so this, uh, presumably he, he, he's just uh, praising the Dhamma here rather than praising himself uh, by putting, him, putting himself on the highest seat. Uh. Then he told the doorkeeper, Now, good doorkeeper, go to the Nigantanata Putta and tell him, Venerable sir, the household Rupali says, Enter, venerable sir, if you wish. Yes, venerable sir, he replied, and he went to the Nigantanata Putta and told him, Venerable sir, the household Rupali says, Enter, venerable sir, if you wish. Then the Nigantanata Putta went with a large assembly of Nigantas to the hall of the central door. Previously, when the householder Rupali saw the Niganta coming in the distance, he used to go out to meet him, dust off the highest, best, chief, most excellent seat there with an upper robe, and having arranged it all around, have him seated on it. But now, while seated himself on the highest, best, chief, most excellent seat, he told Nigantanataputta, Venerable sirs, there are seats. Sit down if you wish. When this was said, the Nigantanataputta said, 
householder. You are mad. You are an imbecile. You went saying, Venerable sir, I shall refute the rector's Gautama's doctrine. And you have come back caught by the vast net of his doctrine. Just as if a man went to castrate somebody and he came back castrated on both sides. Just as if a man went to put out someone's eyes and came back with both his eyes put put out. So you too, householder, when saying, Venerable sir, I shall refute the recluse Gautama's doctrine, and you have come back caught by the vast net of his doctrine. Householder, you have been converted by the recluse Gautama with his converting magic. Auspicious is that converting magic, venerable sir. Good is that converting magic, yeah. This, this is what you would expect, I suppose, a Sotapanna to say, because he knows exactly now what he's talking about. Venerable Sir, if my beloved kinsmen and relatives were to be converted by this conversion, it would lead to the welfare and happiness of my beloved kinsmen and relatives for a long time. If all nobles were to be converted by this conversion, it would lead to the welfare and happiness of the nobles for a long time. If all Brahmins, all merchants, all workers were to be converted by this conversion, it would lead to the welfare and happiness of the workers for a long time. If the world with its gods, its Maras, its Brahmas, this generation with its recluses and Brahmins, its princes and its people, were to be converted by this conversion, it would lead to the happiness of the world for a long time. As to this, Venerable Sir, I shall give you a simile, for some wise men here understand the meaning of a statement by a simile. So he, uh, you can see here that he has really understood the Dhamma very well, because he recognized that the Dhamma is, is about happiness, and anybody who practices the Dhamma properly uh, will gain happiness thereby. Okay, so the simile is as follows. Venerable Sir, there was once a Brahmin who was old, aged, and burdened with years. And he had as a, as a wife a young Brahmin girl who was pregnant and near her confinement. Then she told him, Go, Brahmin, buy a young monkey in the market and bring it back to me as a playmate for my child. He replied, Wait, madam, till you have born the child. If you bear a boy then I will go to the market and buy a young male monkey and bring it back to you as a playmate for your little boy. But if you bear a girl, then I will go to the market and buy a young female monkey and bring it back to you as a playmate for your little girl. For the second time she made the same request and received the same answer. For the third time she made the same request. Then, since his mind was bound to her with love, he went to the market bought a young male monkey, brought it back and told her, I have bought this young male monkey in the market and brought it back to you as a playmate for your child. Then she told him, (laughs) Go, Brahmin, take this young male monkey to Ratapani, the dyer's son, and tell him, Good Ratapani, I want this young male monkey dyed the color called yellow unguent, pounded and repounded, and smoothened out on both sides. Then, since his mind was bound to her with love, he took the young male monkey to Ratapani, the dyer's son, and told him, Good Ratapani, I want this young male monkey dyed the color called yellow unguent, pounded and repounded, and smoothened out on both sides. Ratapani, the dyer's son, told him, Venerable sir, this young male monkey will take a dying, but not a pounding or a smoothing out. So too, venerable sir, the doctrine of the foolish Nigantas will give delight to fools, but not to the wise. It will not withstand testing or being smoothened out. Then, venerable sir, on another occasion, that Brahmin took a pair of new garments to Ratapani, the dyer's son, and told him, Good Ratapani, I want this pair of new garments dyed the color called yellow unguent, pounded and repounded, and smoothened out on both sides. Ratapani, the dyer's son, told him, 
Venerable sir, this pair of new garments will take a dyeing and a pounding and a smoothening out. So too, venerable sir, the doctrine of the Blessed One, accomplished and fully enlightened, will give delight to the wise but not to fools, and it will withstand testing and being smoothened out. Householder, the assembly and the king know you thus. The householder Upali is a disciple of the Nigantanata Putta. Whose disciple should we consider you to be? When this was said, the householder Upali rose from his seat and arranged his upper road on one shoulder. He extended his hands in reverential salutation in the direction of the Blessed One and told the Nigantanata Putta, In that case, Venerable Sir, hear whose disciple I am. And then comes a, um, a long series of verses which are basically extolling uh, the Buddha. Um, but maybe before I go on to that, does anybody have any questions, anything they want to, to ask or, or say, or comment on? Everybody very happy? Okay. <laughs> Good. Okay, I'll, so I'll go through this verse. They're quite very nice, very nice verses. Uh, they're basically just extolling uh, the Buddha and talking about the Buddha's uh, many, many wonderful qualities. Uh, so Upali says as follows. Uh, he, in other words, the Buddha, is the wise one who has cast off delusion, uh, abandoned the heart's wilderness, victor in battle, he knows no anguish, is perfectly even-minded, mature in virtue of excellent wisdom, beyond all temptation, he is without stain. The blessed one is he, and I am his disciple. Free from perplexity, he abides contented, spurning worldly gains, a vessel of gladness, a human being who has done the recluse's duty, a man who bears his final body. He is utterly peerless and utterly spotless. The Blessed One is he, and I am his disciple. He is free from doubt, and he is skillful, the discipliner and excellent leader. None can surpass his resplendent qualities. Without hesitation, he is the illuminator. Having severed conceit, he is the hero. The Blessed One is he, and I am his disciple. The leader of the herd, he cannot be measured. His depths are unfathomed. He has attained uh, to silence, literally to sagehood. Provider of safety, possessor of knowledge, he stands in the Dhamma, inwardly restrained. Having overcome all bondage, he is liberated. The Blessed One is he, and I am his disciple. The immaculate tusker, living in remoteness, with fetters all shattered, fully freed, skilled in discussion, imbued with wisdom, his banner lowered. This is another way, term for conceit. His conceit lowered, his banner lowered. He no longer lusts. Having tamed himself, he no more proliferates. The Blessed One is he, and I am his disciple. The best of seers, uh, or sages if you like, with no deceptive schemes, gained the triple knowledge, attained to holiness, his heart cleansed, a master of discourse. He lives ever tranquil, the finder of knowledge, the first of all givers. Uh, he is ever capable. The blessed one is he, uh, and I am his disciple. He is the noble one, developed in mind, who has gained the goal and expounds the truth. Endowed with mindfulness and penetrative insight, he leans neither forwards nor back. Free from perturbation, attained to mastery. The Blessed One is he, and I am his disciple. The uh, leaning forward and back is a reference to uh, uh, you're not, you don't get upset or angry at uh, sensual input. You neither crave for it, nor do you get aversion to it. He has fared rightly and abides in meditation, inwardly undefiled, in purity perfect, 
He is independent and altogether fearless, living secluded, attained to the summit, having crossed over himself, he leads others across. The blessed one is he, and I am his disciple. Of supreme serenity, with extensive wisdom, a man of great wisdom, devoid of all greed, he is the Tathagata, he is the sublime one, the person unrivaled, the one without equal. He is intrepid, proficient in all. The blessed one is he, and I am his disciple. He has severed craving and become the enlightened one, cleared of all clouds, completely untainted, most worthy of gifts, most mighty of spirits, most perfect of persons, beyond estimation, the greatest in grandeur, attained to the peak of glory. The blessed one is he, and I am his disciple. Very nice verses there. How strong, (laughs) pretty strong, powerful verses. Okay, and then the Niganta Nataputa is not very impressed. So he says, When did you concoct that hymn of praise to the rector's Gautama householder? Venerable sir, suppose there was a great heap of many kinds of flowers, and then a clever garland maker or garland maker's apprentice were to knot them into a multicolored garland. So to venerable sir, the blessed one has many praiseworthy qualities, many hundred praiseworthy qualities. Who, venerable sir, would not praise the praiseworthy? Then, since the Nigantanata Puta was unable to bear this honor done to the blessed one, hot blood then and there gushed from his mouth. And that is the end of that sutta. Apparently after that, what happened was that the Niganta uh, Nataputa, he went to a place called Pava, and apparently he died, according to the commentary, he died quite soon after this, uh, this incident, uh, which one might expect, I suppose, if hot blood comes out of your mouth. So, <laughs> what was that? <laughs> That's right. Okay, anybody have any comments or questions or anything you want to say? Yeah. very nice isn't it yeah yeah, yeah. So, hmm. um, okay well maybe we should call it a day then uh, and pay our respects to the triple gem